0: Guys, we're going to get right into it this morning. We've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, um, which I'm sure many of you know is one of several letters that we find in the New Testament. It was was a letter written by one of the earliest church leaders, a gentleman known as the Apostle Paul. Um, And he wrote a letter to a church that he helped to birth ...in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And he writes uh, two letters that we we have contained within the New Testament... um, ...simply entitled 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We've been working through 1 Corinthians. We've entitled this series, um, as we've been working slowly through this letter... ...to this ancient church, Unlikely Church. Because it would seem that outside of the faithfulness of God... The church in Corinth is perhaps the most unlikely church to have ever survived the first century. There were pressures at work within and without the church that would have made it next to impossible to really thrive, to, to grow, and to become the church of Jesus Christ. Of course, the church not only survived, it it thrived, and it, and it became the church that God intended them to be. And... Um, And now we can read about them and think about them and and learn from them today, which is why we're studying this ancient letter. So with that, let's get to it. If you need a Bible, feel free to grab one. We have some in the aisle here. Um, You're always very welcome to grab one of those. Um, And of course, you can just look on the screen as well. But we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Um, we're going we're to have a, a few slides we're going to read through. We're going to go a whole 17 verses. So get your thinking caps on. Here we go. Paul writes, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not ...solid food, for you are not ready for it. And then even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Carnal. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not, merely, you're not being merely human? And not in the Shakespearean way. To err is human, yes, of course, That's not what he's saying. He's saying they're being immature. Verse five, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages, according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Next slide, please. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation ...other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... ...each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The day referring to the day that Jesus returns... Final slide. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself or herself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you know do you not know that you are God's temple and the God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for what you're building here in our lives. Nearly 2,000 years later, we are a part of an ancient building project that you yourself have begun. And I pray that this morning as we consider these words, that you have inspired by your spirit, that you would help us, that you would speak to each one of us as individuals, um, but perhaps even more importantly, importantly as, as a community, as a family, in Jesus' name, amen. That's uh, Colette, is that her name? Yeah. yeah you got to meet the, the bulldog at some point this morning. <laughs> Thank you for that. Was that snoring? That sounded like snoring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Awkward. So. We are the temple of God. God. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Of course, he was writing to Greeks. The Greeks knew temples. I mean, they were like the master of temples. They had a lot of temples, uh, for one thing. In the city of Corinth, they would have had, I think I read something, upwards to 30 different major temples to various Greek and Roman gods around the city. The the pinnacle of all the temples, of course, being the one built on the, the top of the hill, the temple of Aphrodite's. Um, but Paul here is appealing to, to a mindset, to something that the Greeks would have been well familiar with. Immediately they would have thought, yeah, temple. We get temple. We get the purpose of temple. And we get the awe and the reverence that typically we feel at some level when we go into a temple. Have you, have you ever seen one of these, these old Greek ruins? Have you traveled or ever been, ever been to Greece? Um, I have not. Um, I've seen some old temples, though, some old cathedrals. I think, it, in fact, it was probably one of the things that I enjoyed about living overseas for a little while. Um, my wife and I, if you didn't notice, she talks funny. No, she has a beautiful accent. Um, but we met, got married. We were actually married in South Africa. Um, but we started our family in the UK. And it, it was cool because from London, you can kind of go anywhere, really, in Europe quite easily. And so we saw some really old Cathedrals. I think one of my favorite was uh, the Duomo in Florence, Italy. Remember that? Anyone, anyone ever ever been there? Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's surreal. It's not, it's not the oldest cathedral in Europe by any, any means. I think it's around 600 years old. But I remember Shirley and I, we were there visiting some friends, and uh, we were wandering around the city quite late at night. I think it was on the eve of Easter, was it not? And we noticed that the side door to the Duomo... This, this Italian cathedral was open, and there were people trickling in. So we're like, why, why is the cathedral open like this late at night? So we went in and realized that they were doing sort of a, a midnight vigil, a candlelight mass in this, this cathedral on the eve of Easter. So we went in. We were giving candles. It was surreal. It was gorgeous. When we walked in, it was very dark, um, a bit, uh, almost a little macabre, and uh, Everyone was holding a candle, not lit. And as everyone settled in, in the darkness, there was a bit of light in the back. The, uh, the priests began to chant um, in Latin, I'm assuming. Maybe Italian. I don't speak either. And uh, the procession began, and the priests were holding a, a torch, and they were chanting, it was, it was beautiful, and they lit this torch. And as they walked down the, the central aisle, they, they lit candles. And of course, the candles were lit down each, each row. And as they proceeded further and further down the aisle uh, to the altar, the place began to light up. All of the candles were lit, and then finally at the very end of the procession, they lit this giant sort of like fire pit, and the place was just aglow with firelight And it was a picture of the resurrection. It was awesome. It was powerful. Didn't understand a thing that was happening other than the presence of God was in that place. So the Corinthians understood temple. They understood the significance of a sacred place, a building where... Individuals would gather to worship and enjoy the very presence of God. It's the dog again. (laughs) God is a builder. God is a builder. the Duomo, almost 600 years old, the church, uh, close to 2,000. And God's still not done. He's building something. We're building something, to be sure. As we partner with God to build and become His church, it's so important for us to know that what God builds is always meant to last. God doesn't use like the cheap sort of stuff that my house is built out of—plastic <laughs> siding—and although I reckon the plastic siding will last like a thousand years. Um, but God's building something uh, in our lives and in his church that is meant uh, to last forever. It's not just a facade. It's not just four looks. It's something of the eternal substance, something that God himself wants to inhabit and dwell within. He only builds things that last. Here's, here's a question for you bit of a depressing question, really. How would you feel if at the like, end of your life, um, or how about like at the end of the year, you were to look back only to realize that everything you've been working so hard on, everything that you've been investing your time and resources in, the that, that stuff that you've been building with your life turned out to be just a complete and utter waste of time. Wouldn't that just be miserable? This is kind of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. I mean, he's really, it's, it's really, it's, it's a bit harsh, if you ask me. I mean, we're reading it, it sounds a little poetic and, and Bible-y, but really, Paul is calling them out. He's saying, look, you think you're so awesome, you got your knowledge, you got your spiritual gifts, you got, you got all this stuff going on, um, but you're still babies, I'd love to give you something a bit more substantial. I'd love to feed you some meat, but I'm going to be real with you. You're not ready for it. You're going to end up throwing it up. And he calls them out. I can almost hear the echo of the the ancient, you know, echo of of Greek koinia. Can you imagine what they must be thinking? Can you imagine what they must have been saying to themselves as they read this letter out loud? Oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) Yeah, he totally did. Totally. He wanted to give them meat, but they could only hold down milk. Paul's saying, look, you've gone drastically off course. You think that what you're building is spiritual and of God and holy? Um, Guys, I I need to let you know uh, you're you're terribly off track. We, we We need to dial it back and figure out what this is really all about. So I wanna pose three questions to us. Go to the next slide, please. These are very, very important for us. What are we actually meant to be building? What sorts of indicators would tell us when our building is going off course? And three, how can we ensure the use of quality building supplies, i.e. gold versus the highly flammable straw? What are we building? How do we know when we're going wrong? And number three, how can we ensure quality building supplies? Um, Let's start with number two because that just makes perfect sense in my mind. What sorts, so we'll we'll get back to to what exactly we're building. But we are building something. How can we know when what we're building is actually going off course? What what indicators should we be looking out for? Now, just to stick within the context here, Paul's very specific. He tells the Corinthians, you're immature, you're in the flesh, you're acting carnal because there's jealousy and strife among you. Jealousy and strife. Now, strife is, that's kind of an easy one. We all know what strife is, right? People fighting, people not getting along, people picking sides, just being generally nasty towards each other. Um, I can remember talk about strife in the church. Um, Shirley and I, were, we were leading a congregation in London. I don't know if you remember this. I don't even know if I ever told you about this. But uh, we, were, we had an evening service where we would gather on the campus at Imperial College. Had a beautiful little hall there. We would worship and we would preach the gospel. We had a phenomenal uh, band. Really, really good worship team. And just like minutes before our little 6 p.m. service was about to start, one of the guys comes running out to the, the little courtyard there next to the building where we were at. And he's Simon, you gotta come. You gotta come right now. And I was slightly annoyed because I'm like, what could be so important? And so he pulls me aside and I'm, I'm following him back in. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, dude, you need to follow me quickly. I won't mention them by name, but our drummer and our, our, our lead worship vocalists were literally brawling in the stairwell like fist fight, minutes before our church service was about to start. <laughs> Proud moment in the life of a pastor, let me tell you. <laughs> these were the men that I had been investing in, that I had been discipling in the ways of Jesus. These were, these were my worship leaders, meant to, to usher in the presence of God, literally in a fist fight in the stairwell just before we're about to worship Jesus. Strife. That's, that's strife. I don't know if that's exactly what Paul was talking about. Although, if you've read the whole letter, I wouldn't be surprised. The Corinthians were dodgy. They had major issues. That's strife. Um, so we ended up revising our worship that evening. I told the guys, look, we're, we're not, you guys aren't going to be leading us in worship tonight, all right, we have, we have, we have to have another meeting before we do that. Um, they ended up reconciling, and it was all good, and yeah, makes for a great story. But jealousy, I, wanna, I want us to think about that for just a second. What, what, is, what is Paul referring to, jealousy among you? And I think typically most of us, we, it's, I normally don't go to the Greek, but it's, the Greek word is zelos. Which obviously is where we get zealous or zeal from. Uh, it doesn't perfectly translate to jealousy, at least not in the way I think we might normally think of jealousy. Jealousy is like you have something that I really, really like, and I wish it was mine. Um, that's probably more akin to covetousness. Like you have something that I would really, really wish was mine. That that's not jealousy. That's not jealousy. Uh, the Gospels actually give us what I think to be a very helpful example of jealousy. So you don't need to turn there, but I want to I want to flip over to uh, Luke chapter nine quickly. This is a this is a great example of what jealousy really looks like. I'm looking at Luke chapter nine um, around verse forty four. The context is Jesus has just performed uh, a miracle. Uh, Specifically, he's cast an unclean spirit out of a little boy. And it says in verse uh, 43, chapter 9, verse 43, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. This is a... This is an important moment. And he says, the son of man, referring to himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, but they, his disciples, did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Then an argument broke out among them as to which of them was the greatest. So the disciples... In the midst of the miracle and Jesus' foretelling of the cross, the disciples decide to have a little debate amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. Now, this this happens more than once throughout the Gospels. And I know every time I read it, it's so tempting to think, these guys were total idiots. (laughs) Like, seriously. And it makes me wonder if, if perhaps... Jesus didn't deliberately select morons to be his disciples just to make a point. Just, just, just so we know for sure that he's not looking for the best and the brightest. He's not looking for those who, who are pre-qualified because of their greatness and spiritual prowess. No, no this, is, this is all about grace. This is all about the faithfulness of God. And so Jesus picks some characters to be his disciples. But guys, I don't know that we're that different, honestly. I mean, the the way it's written seems like, like we would never, ever do that. But guys, we totally do this. We totally do this. We want to be great. We want to be just a little bit better the person sitting next to us we don't ever 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 admit that out loud right because that's ego that's ego that's that's the fight we all struggle with that temptation so um we are also morons okay no you guys are awesome you guys are totally awesome an argument arose among them as to which one one of them was the greatest Verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. So he says, look, if you want, if you want to be great, which is good, then become like a child, Stop competing over who's the best and begin trusting me. I am the greater one. Be like a child, like a child who looks to his father or his mother for everything, for security, for significance, for that sense of belonging that we all long for. Be like a child. Now, what happens next, I think, is, is a perfect example of jealousy. Okay, so this is a serious moment, right? And, and I, I imagine there's a, a fairly long, dramatic pause. The disciples, are, I mean, they're, for one thing, they're probably a little shocked, a little appalled, a little offended. Jesus is saying, like, you want to be great, become like a child. That makes no sense. And they're pondering this. And then this is what happens next. Uh, verse 48. John answered. So this is the the disciple John. This is his immediate response to everything that Jesus just said. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him, but the one who is not against you is for you. Isn't that random? Random. That's John's answer to everything that Jesus has just said. Master, there's, there's someone, he, he's, he's trying to like cast demons out in your enemy. but he's not with us. He's not, he's not in our crew. So I told him to knock it off. Because if he's not for us, he's obviously against us, right? And Jesus flips it. And he says, no, no, you, you've got it all turned around. If he's not against us, he's for us. You know what this is? This is our our tendency, our carnal fleshly tendency to want to draw lines so that we can be the ones to determine who is in and who is out. Guys, this is, I would argue, the primary indicator that our building has gone awry, as soon as we begin to draw lines of division so that we can decide who's in and who's out, who belongs, who does not, who God really loves and accepts and who he rejects. As if we were the arbiters, as if we were the judge, as if we, like God, were able to see straight into the hearts of the people around us. You know what what our, our, our vision, our vision statement, our mission statement, whatever you want to call it, as a church is? We exist so that anyone might experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ. Anyone. Anyone. Wherever you're coming from, whatever you currently believe or think you believe you belong here, you belong here, now I know some of you might be thinking like, whoa, like that's, hang on, that sounds like inclusivism, that's, I mean, what, what about, what about heresy, Look, I, I believe in heresy, I don't like believe in heresy, <laughs> like I'm trying to cut back, I believe that truth is important, absolutely. I believe that Jesus is really good at confronting us with the truth. And he calls us to repent. He calls us to change the way we think and to follow him, to trust him. But Jesus calls the morons. Jesus calls the anybody. Jesus calls everybody, anyone who would be willing to turn away from what they were trusting in, typically ourselves, and to trust him and to follow him, to learn his ways, to learn to be his disciple. That invitation's open to anyone. Everyone gets a chance to belong in the family of God. Guys, when we start fighting each other, um, over other things, because we, we've got it turned around. We've got it turned around. Jesus says, come follow me. He didn't give him a track first and said, okay, here's the things that you need to believe, and then maybe we can, we can do this. Then maybe we can schedule a meeting. Then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll come over to your house for supper. No, he doesn't do that. In fact, he says, follow me. And then ironically, he ends up eating dinner at your house, I like how Jesus rolls. (laughs) And then he begins to challenge the way we view the world and what we believe and why. And he calls us to repent. He calls us to change the way we think and thus the way we act and to trust him, to become like him. But everyone gets invited to the party. Everyone gets a chance to belong. It's not that boring. so that's how I would define jealousy it's tribalism it's territorialism it's creating categories of in and out all throughout the scriptures God, Old and New Testament God is constantly like flipping that on its head who's in, who's out I'll tell you who's in you think you know, I'll tell you that's up to God so let's let's move on. Let's, let's go to number one. What are we actually meant to be building? Well, we're building a holy temple. What's holy about a holy temple? What's holy about a holy moment? What's holy about the holy of holies? I was uh, in Jerusalem once. I mentioned it before. Super cool trip. And uh, there's a... If you go to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, there's a tiny portion of the wall that you've got to actually get on your hands and knees to go in this little tunnel and you crawl into this little space. And it's the place that's physically as close as one can possibly get to where the Holy of Holies used to be located before the, the Second Temple was torn down in 70 AD. Now it's a mosque. Um, but that's... That's what people do. Why is that? What was it that was so holy about the Holy of Holies? It was holy because the Holy One was said to have dwelt there. What's holy about a holy temple? What's holy about a gathering like this? It's the presence of the Holy One. What are we building? We're building a vessel meant to be filled with the Spirit of God. The community that we're building here even our meeting here, our gathering on a Sunday morning, what are we doing here? Guys, if you're just coming to hear me, oh, I promise you, give me like a week or two, a month max, you will be over me. Okay, I promise you, like, there are such better preachers in this city. <sighs> not that I don't take this seriously, because it's not about you and it's not about me. We're here to gather to create something that the very Spirit of God might dwell in this place. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're building. It's out of that, it's out of that being filled with the Spirit of God that everything else flows out. It's not that we just simply get here, just like sort of, you know, just do God. You know, do the God thing. Be filled with God. Feel God. It's, it's, it flows out into practical life matters. It looks like handing out hamburgers to homeless people. It looks like raking leaves in, in the neighbor's you know lawn down the road. It, it has works attached to it, but it begins with being filled up with the very Spirit of God. This is why Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians that we are meant to think of ourselves and think of our community like a, like a clay pot an earthen vessel that is filled with the surpassing power of God. He said that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, speaking of creation, let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Only this power has been placed into earthen vessels So that everyone would know that it's not from us, but from God. What are we building here? We're building a big clay pot. That everything that we do, our conversations, our service, our worship, our coffee, our kids, our families. Most importantly, our relationships. Might be filled with the very spirit of God. That's what we're building. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing to be a part of that? How do we do it? How can we ensure the use of quality building supplies, gold, versus the highly flammable straw? Paul, Paul says make sure each one is careful to pay attention to how they're building. And then he lists off like various building materials, gold, silver, precious stones, uh, what, what, straw, hay, like obviously, you know, this, this is like the three little pigs, right? Certain <laughs> things are gonna get blown down, certain things are gonna stand. I'm no architect, but that's, I'm pretty sure that's just how it works. How are we meant to build in such a way that this community that we hope is being filled with the very spirit of God, will last a year from now, 600 years from now, 1,000 years from now. We want to be a part of what God is building. We we want the materials that we're using to last. Well, let me say this, um, and I alluded to it at the outset. It's not necessarily... Uh, two things, it's not necessarily the employment of spiritual gifts, and I keep going back to that because as we get further along in this letter to the Corinthians, we'll find that these believers, I mean, they were, they were really spiritually inclined. I mean, they, they, they were open and, and eager to experience the, the quote-unquote power of God. Spiritual gifts were a big deal. And by the way, I'll just say this. Um, I, I believe in the spiritual gifts. I think they're actually important, and I think we, we need to be uh, aware of the fact that Paul explicitly told the Corinthians that we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. This was his command to the church. But that doesn't necessarily make for quality building material. Didn't, didn't in their case. And the second thing is, is knowledge. Isn't it something to think... So this was a church founded by the Apostle Paul, so for a year and a half, longer than we've existed here, for a year and a half, the Apostle Paul was the weekly preacher, probably more, for this church. Okay. So their pastor was actually preaching, like he wrote a Bible, okay? He was a pretty good pastor, I think. Pretty good teaching pastor. I don't know like, how the whole expository preaching thing would have worked for Paul, but, but he, he was good. And then, of course, there was Apollos. Immediately after Paul left, they had Apollos, who apparently was, was even, like, better somehow. So they had really, really good teaching. Only that apparently wasn't it. They still had building problems. Now, I hate to spoil the letter for you, but I, I, have, read, I have read it. I've read it to the end. Um... Paul's actually dropping a little, little teaser at this point. He goes on to explicitly tell the Corinthians what the quality stuff really looks like. I'm going to go ahead and say it this morning. Number one, it's faith. Number one, it's faith. How do, how do we know we're using quality building material? Ask yourself this. And this would apply to our church. This would apply to, to anything as followers of Jesus that we're building. If? if the Holy Spirit was completely withdrawn from everything that we're building here, would it still stand? I hope that the answer is no, absolutely not. In fact, I would like to say, I wouldn't want it to stand. I don't want to build a church, I don't want to build a community, I don't want to build a family I don't want to build anything with my life that could be awesome without the very presence of God holding the whole thing up. Which means we need faith. We need to build in such a way that God, he he calls us out right to the edge. He calls us right to the end of ourselves and says, okay, now what I want you to do next is going to feel like like you're about to just break the whole thing. Like this is gonna require you to put all of your body weight on something that feels completely beyond your control. I'm asking you now to trust me. That's faith. That's faith. When we say, I'm building something here that if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't help me, if God's not at the, the core of this, this is going to be incredibly embarrassing. Like, I'm just, this, this is just all going to come tr- crumbling down. And that's exactly how we want to build. It's risky. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And this is how God builds. Secondly, we need to build with hope. I grew up in a house that was under constant renovation. My dad's an electrician, but I think he always had kind of hoped that he would be a builder. I, I lived in the same house for the first 20 years of my life. And that's stupid. I love that house. But my dad just never, ever stopped building. He told me later on that he over doubled the square footage of that house just by like adding on. He added out, he added up, He just kept building and building and building until the day I moved out. He just wasn't done. That's a great picture of how God is calling us to build. We live in this great and slightly uncomfortable tension that what God is building, what he is calling us to be co-builders in, won't be done until Jesus comes back until Jesus comes back, until the day that Jesus comes to complete the work that he has started. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person, I find great satisfaction in checking off the boxes. I'm like, done, done, done. In fact, (laughs) this is like my OCD, right? If if I finish a project, which I forgot to actually add to my to-do list, I will go back, add it to, to my do, to-do list after the fact, and then check it off. Done. Whew. Done. Two weekends ago, this is what I do on my days off. My, my wife just, she loves me so much. Two Fridays ago, it was my day off on Fridays, I thought, you know what, T- today I'm going to organize the garage. I spent the whole day Organizing our little garage, everything in its place. I was out there almost till midnight. I was in heaven. I finished. I finished, and it was like done. I mean, if I didn't, I didn't actually have it on my to do list, but if I did, that would have been like a massive check mark like done. It was so satisfying to complete my project, which makes it really challenging. To build with God. Because he's never done. He's never done. We're not done. God has started something in this church and in this city. That he's not even close to being done with. I am convinced. It is my contention. That until this building is once again. Bursting at the seams. With people coming to experience the love of God. We're not done. We're not done. And we won't be done until Jesus comes back. And so we have hope. We're building with hope that Jesus himself will complete the work that he has started. Finally, we build with or in love. Love. We're dealers in love. We're we're love dealers. Paul says, nothing else matters except for faith expressing itself through love. He says, spiritual gifts, miracles, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, all of these things will pass away. The only things that will last are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those, love. Which means, really, I'll put it this way what we're actually building here, and we know we're building with gold. When what we're building is meant to help people grow in their love for God and each other. It's, it's relationship. It's relationship. Nothing else really matters. Nothing else is really going to last. So we have to ask ourselves, can I invite the band to come up please? We're going we're gonna to wrap up. I want to ask you to ask yourself what are you building and what sort of building materials um, have you been using lately? It's a great great question. Uh, Paul Paul writes um, again in his second letter to the Corinthians he says examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to make sure that you are in the faith? Or do you not know that Jesus lives inside you? Are we building in such a way that we're, we're forming this vessel that the Holy Spirit is simply thrilled to live in? Are we building in such a way that the risks that we're taking make plenty of room for the very activity of God himself? Because we could drill down, we could get super practical. And it really, like most of life, it is just utterly practical. Like how we handle our money, what we do with our time, how we negotiate priorities and, and commitments. Are we building in such a way That if God just withdrew his spirit, God forbid, our life would begin to dissolve. Are we okay with the tension that this building project is not going to end? Not until Jesus returns. Not until our king personally completes the work that he has started. Can you feel the tension? How satisfied are you with, with, with where we're at now? There should be, at some level, this sort of um, holy dissatisfaction with where we're currently at. There's, there's way too many people out there that God loves and that Jesus died for, for us to simply be satisfied. And if we get nothing else, love. Love, that's what we're doing here. Can we stand together, please?